Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're going to launch out of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Uh, just to start, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And I'm going to ask you one more time if you're able to stand uh, so we can pray and we'll get right into the message this morning. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. Uh, we had a great first service, and I know, Lord, that you're here now. I know that you're with our kids and kids' church and with those that are at home. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just have your way. Speak to us. Let your word come alive to us this morning. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So today we are beginning a new message series called Church Life. Can you say Church Life? Church Life. life. And so I was going to call it Church, Some Assembly Required. Um, But that's kind of a more specific point that we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Whereas Church Life covers a, a very general theme. And so Church Life it is. And so for as early as I can remember, church has always been a part of my life. Uh, In fact, as the youngest of 13 children, yes, I am the baby, um, I grew up uh, Catholic in our home, and so I basically ate, I breathed, I attended church, or what we called mass, uh, both regularly and religiously, see what I did there? Uh, And so my church experience back then was a whole lot different than it is today. Maybe some of you can relate. Uh, See, back then I attended church more out of routine and ritual uh, than anything else. I was taught to kneel and cross myself and sit and stand a whole lot. In those days when it came down to to worship, uh, there was always like this loud and thunderous organ accompanied by a chanting priest dressed uh, in a robe. When I was little, I would call it a dress and my mom would say, no, don't call it a dress. Um, and so a robe, and we collectively repeated after him. And so that was my church experience then. To be very honest, I don't remember much of what was said back then, except that I, as a child, I'm just going to be honest, I was bored a lot. I was bored a lot. And as a result, I found myself uh, being escorted by my ear out to the foyer on many occasions, uh, receiving uh, some spankings. Some spankings. Yes, I do remember that. I, I'm sure none of you have ever gotten in trouble in, in that way. And so I did. And I can tell you from experience that those uh, kneeling pew benches were very, very loud uh, f- uh, when I played with them. And they dropped down in the middle of the precincts something. And so as I got older, uh, the more mischief I found myself in. And out of all of the things that was taught to me by the nuns as a child, I remember thinking that I was definitely a bad, bad sinner. To my young mind, though, I actually believed the lie that as long as I did more good than I did bad things, that maybe one day, one day somewhere out in the future, I'm going to make it to heaven. And so listen, I'm really glad today that someone had the courage to to, to share the truth with me, right? The gospel of Jesus changed my life. Anybody else can witness to that, that, that knowing Jesus has changed your life. And instead of religion, I learned that my sins uh, are, are, can be forgiven and that a relationship with Jesus Christ provided a, a, a free, the free gift of salvation through faith that I could never earn on my own. And so today, church means something totally different to me than it did way, way back then. In fact, I can say with confidence today, and not just because I'm the pastor, uh, that I love church. I love church. I love to be in church. I love what the church does. And so I'll say what I say the first service. You say anything bad about the church, and uh, you might ruffle my feathers because I love the church. Uh, The Bible tells us that the first person to ever use the word church in the Bible was actually Jesus himself. Uh, he, he's the one who started the church. In fact, we know that Jesus gave his life uh, for the church on the cross and the church belongs to Jesus. And so I guess that's part of the reason. I know the background. I know the foundation. I know that Jesus gave himself for it. And so I protect it. I, I want the best for it. Listen, I, I'm not saying that it's perfect. Wherever there are people, 
it's going to be imperfect. How many of you have had a bad church experience? Almost every hand should be raised. I'm sure at some point somebody offended you or somebody ticked you off or somebody, you know, just set you the wrong way. And as soon as you stepped through the doors, you were like, I think I might have to leave. I might have to go somewhere else. And so I get it. Wherever there's people, it's not going to be perfect. But listen, as far as Jesus is concerned, he's amazing. And what he does in the lives of people in church is also great. Um, Our text in Matthew chapter 16, let's go there. It begins at verse 13 through 18. And the Bible says that when Jesus came uh, into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Like, what are they saying about me? Who am I to them? And so they said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are actually Elijah. Uh, Some say that you are uh, uh, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, but who do you, my disciples, who do you say that I am? And we know in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, on this rock, and I'm going to stop there real quick because some people have alluded that, that it's all about Peter. And so Peter was the first pope and all this stuff. I don't know where they get all this stuff. We're talking about the confession, the profession that Peter made upon this rock or the revelation of Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Can I get you to say my church this morning? One more time, my church. I want you to think about those words as we get started this morning. My church. The words my or mine express ownership, right? Kind of like a a direct connection to something or to someone like, like when a child says mine, mine. Is there any doubt who they think has ownership? I mean, they think that whatever they're saying mine about is theirs. It belongs to them. They have ownership. And so in reference to my church, here Jesus is telling Peter and us by extension really this morning that the church belongs to him. And that means that Jesus considers the church very important. In fact, it's so important that I'm willing to open up with this uh, risky statement for some. Fact, you cannot grow to full maturity in Christ without involvement in God's church. I want to say it again. You cannot grow to full Christian maturity without involvement in God's church. I say it's controversial because there's always someone who will say the exception. There's always, listen, some may question, Pastor Freddie, how can you make such a statement? How can you say that unless a Christian is involved in the church, that they will not reach full spiritual maturity? Well, let me respond your question, to your question with, one, with another question. Can a person reach full spiritual maturity if they, key word, continually, say continually, If they continually ignore and disobey the commands of God, let me ask it again. Can a person reach full spiritual maturity if they continually ignore or disobey the commands of Jesus? I mean, do you really think that a person can become become an obedient and mature Christian without doing what Christ has already clearly told them to do? In other words, you're walking in disobedience. I mean, what did Jesus ask us to do in the first place? I believe he asked us to to follow his teachings, to follow his word. How many believe that the Bible is powerful today? The the word of God is powerful. The, The word of God is our instruction manual as followers of Christ. And so we know that if we're gonna live in Christ and we're gonna live victoriously, we should obey it. But did you know that there are actually about 35 commands in the Bible that you and I cannot personally fulfill without being involved in God's church. 
So there are commands like love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, accept one another, greet one another. The list goes on and on, and they're all one another's. Who do you think that one another is? Could it, could it be that the scripture speaks of one another uh, when it speaks of it, that it's speaking of fellow followers in Christ or so Christian believers wherever they are? And could it be that Jesus created and established the church, his church, as a committed community of fellow believers to collectively bring honor and glory to his name? But Pastor Freddie, the church is not a building. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Perfect. Absolutely. It's not a building. And then, so, Pastor Freddie, because it's not a building, I can be a part of the church and, and not be in this building on Sundays at all or ever. Can you, really? See, see I get what people are trying to say, and, and there is some truth to it. We teach this in our, in our membership class, because when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, you are asking the Savior of the world to come in, to cleanse you of your sin, to make you a new, a new person, and so that when you do that, you are included in the church of Jesus Christ spiritually. And we, are, we become brothers and sisters in Christ if we accept his salvation by faith. And listen, some people will wholeheartedly argue, that's enough, pastor, that's enough. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to show up on a Sunday. I don't need to be in a community. I don't need to be in a group. I don't need to be in a gathering. Like, pastor, I can read my Bible on my own. I can pray on my own. I can worship on my own. And I'll agree, yes, you, you can do those things on your own. Absolutely. My point is that you cannot fulfill the one another commands of Christ without being directly involved, involved with his people and more specifically without being involved with the collective gathering of the church. And I'm not saying it has to be within these four walls. I'm saying as a gathering of people, if we're born again, we are the church and this, this, I would say, is convenient. I really feel, I said it in the first service, COVID kind of upset the cart, right? COVID messed with everything. People got used to being home. People got used to social distancing. And all of a sudden, they say, oh, it's good. It's all good. Everybody can go back to normal. And guess what happened? Not everyone went back to normal. There are still people today living in fear. There are still people who don't like to uh, go in public or who don't like to gather in places like churches. And so they're missing out on what God is trying to do in their lives. Listen, I'm not putting down or saying anything about a virus or a sickness. I get it. You do what you need to do for safety or whatever. But at some point, you have to say, I have to live my life. I have to live my life. God has called us to gather. Actually, it says gather even more so. As you see the day approaching, what day? The day when Jesus is coming back. The Bible talks about that. And so we should gather. We should be together. You, we have to fulfill those one another commands. And so, yes, if you got saved, then I, I like to say this in the membership class. If you got saved, you become a member of the big C, the church, the body of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, God is inviting you to be a part of the little C, the local collective of churches and communities and in cities and in villages. That's how he operates. The church universal, globally, and the church locally, that's how he operates. Therefore, listen, you cannot grow to full Christian maturity without attendance and involvement in God's church. Uh, and so uh, online church, uh, Christian TV, gospel radio, great, all great resources, all great resources, but nothing will ever replace, I want you to hear this, nothing will ever replace the local accountability. I'm going to pause and say that word has become kind of like a cuss word. I used to, back in the day when I preached, I used to say commitment. When you say commitment, people freak out. They're like, ah, I don't like that word. What do you mean by that word? What are you requiring? And so nothing will ever replace local accountability. And I can say that that's become that way because I see it a lot more. People don't want to be accountable. They want to say whatever they want to say. They want to do whatever they want to do. They don't ever want to be called out. They don't want to be under any kind of leadership. They don't want to be under any kind of a covering. And so in the process, you miss out on what God is trying to do in your life that he can only accomplish in the gathering of his people, the church. And so 
Nothing will ever replace local accountability. Nothing will ever replace discipleship. Nothing will ever replace a community fellowship. Nothing will ever replace face-to-face worship or a hands-on opportunity that Jesus Christ has created you and I to be in, to be involved in. You were created to serve. You were created to worship. You were created with gifts and talents and, and just all these blessings, not to hoard them, not to keep them for your, for, for yourself, not to hide them in a closet, but in, in full Christian maturity to use it among a fellowship of believers that, you know what, what I have to offer matters because Jesus matters. Jesus is in my heart. He's in my life. He wants me to use these gifts for his glory. In the New Testament, the word church is used at least 73 times. It's a New Testament concept is what I'm saying. It was established by Jesus and attended to and built up by the early disciples, the early apostles of Christ. And so if the New Testament puts so much emphasis on the church, then it's vital for us to have a clear understanding of the nature of the church. But before we look at what the church is, let's make sure we're clear on what the church is not. Real quick, the church is not a social club. The church is not a business. The church is not a religious museum, although some of them act like it. The church is not a fraternity. The church is not even the building like we've already said or like we speak often of it. Let's go to church. Also, the church is not a man-made institution. What then is the church? We already said it. The church is the creation of God, founded and established by Jesus Christ himself. In fact, the Bible gives us several metaphors of what the church is. And this morning, I want to look at them real quick, just uh, not, not you know, going into it super in deep, but four quick metaphors about the church that we can learn from this morning. And so if you're writing notes, number one, number one is the Bible says that the church is a fellowship. Now some of you are like, ding, ding, that's what Brian was talking about. Fellowship, fellowship, or maybe not. Maybe you missed it. The church is a fellowship. Say fellowship. Fellowship. Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the early church, we know how important the early church was. They're the foundation. They devoted themselves to fellowship, and so that makes it important. See, fellowship is not just something that the church is, it's something that we do. In the dictionary, the word fellowship is actually a noun and it's a verb at the same time. Now listen, this is going to sound really corny and I guess I mean it to be because maybe it'll be memorable for you. If you want to figure out a a, a simple way to think about what fellowship is, it's kind of like two fellas in a ship. Corny, I said it, now you get to sit on that a little bit. Fellowship, what is it? Two fellas in a ship. Tonight's a Super Bowl. You have two fellas. You have two teams. They're in a ship. They're in a stadium. And I can tell you right now, they're not going in the same direction, right? They're, they're, they're wanting to do what? They're wanting to win a trophy, Lombardi trophy, right? They have a goal in mind, but the goal is for one to win and the other one's going to walk out a loser, I don't know if anybody's even paying attention. The Patriots aren't in it. So most of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, or I was at the supermarket yesterday, and I ran into people and said, you're going to watch Super Bowl? And I was like, eh, I, I don't really have a, 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 you know, a team to, 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 to root for, uh, but I love the snacks. I love the snacks. I love the gathering. I, I you know, sometimes like the entertainment value uh, in it. And so, but in, in regard to fellowship, the idea is that you are actually headed in the same direction. You're headed in the same direction, and so you get to know each other, whether you like it or not, because you're in the ship. You're in the same ship. You can't really escape each other. You're spending quality time with each other. That's what fellowship is. And so fellowship is like all of us getting together, going in the same direction, and which is why at Crosspoint we like to say that together we're better. Together we're better. As Christians, we know that ultimately we're headed for heaven, so we have that goal, that destination in mind. Plus, we know that as fully devoted followers of Christ, our mission is or should be to obey God's word in every single area of our lives. And accountability, oh, there's that word again that we don't like. Accountability is part of our journey to maturity as you become more and more like Jesus. Uh, I said this earlier, that's why we teach this in the membership class. 
We want people to know that it's our mission and our desire uh, to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. And uh, we go a step further. Again, you know, uh, some people choose and some people choose not to, but we go a step further and we've created a, a covenant that lines up with the scriptures. And so every year we gather, we just had it, the vision and business meeting. We gather to talk about the state of the church. We gather uh, to talk about where we have been. We gather to talk about where we are headed as the church. But at the same time, we gather to hold each other accountable to say, you know what? Uh, uh, are you living up to the biblical standard? Are you living for Jesus? Where are you? weak where do you need encouragement and so that's the account the accountability and that's the reminder that you know what we're not asking you to do anything that the bible doesn't already say and we're not here to judge you but we're here to encourage you to make sure that you feel accountable like somebody i think i, I missed out on the beginning but I, I said this earlier did you know that how many of you are parents here raise your hand if you're a parent and so did you know that if you never ever discipline your children if you never, ever discipline, biblically, if I were to, def to, to, to define that biblically, you hate them. What? What are you talking about? The Bible talks about that very clearly, that the, the, our Heavenly Father, He disciplines us. Why? Because He loves us. He disciplines us to, to make sure that we're accountable. He disciplines us to make sure that we're headed in the right direction. And in a church, that discipline comes from leadership. That discipline comes from, you know, the, the, the local church being that representative of Christ in this world. And so we make ourselves accountable to each other so that we make sure we're headed in the right direction. Fact, a top priority of fellowship is harmony. How many of you have ever heard someone sing near you, maybe in church, don't point any fingers, and their harmony does not sound pleasing to your ears? And not everyone can sing. And so when we're talking about being in fellowship and being in harmony, we know that being in harmony and in fellowship can sometimes be challenging. Say amen or ouch. And like the reality is, I, listen, I'm a pastor, and so I hear it all the time. Pastor, I can't sit near that person, or pastor, I can't stand that person, or, or pastor, you've got this person doing this, and I can't even take direction from them. And so in the fellowship, sometimes the harmony, uh, it isn't quite there. And so we've got to be careful. That's one of the areas that we're looking at, that in the church, we've got to be aware that, you know, the, the, the church is a fellowship, and so we have to ask ourselves, how's our fellowship? Are we going in the same direction kind of fellowship? And if we're going to be together for a long time, because if you're in Christ, you got to know that we're here on earth for however many years. And then once you pass from this life to the other, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be in eternity. How long is eternity? Forever and ever. And so if we're going to be together here for a long time and then forever in eternity, we need to learn how to live together in harmony. How many of you know that's easier said than done? Because we're all different. Uh, the implication is that we need to get along with each other. How many of you know it's not only children that sometimes don't get along? Some of us adult children don't get along too. In our church fellowship, we should strive for harmony. Uh, again, sometimes it's not always easy. The Bible teaches that anything that causes disunity is sin. Anything that causes disunity is sin. In fact, there are a lot of verses that say anybody that causes conflict in the church is sinning. And so when you cause conflict in the church or when Christians get mad at other Christians, what you're actually doing, and I'm just going to put it out clear, it's, it's biblical, and so I have nothing to, to be ashamed of. What you are literally doing is you are obeying God's word, disobeying God's word. Let me say that again. When you cause conflict in the church, you are disobeying God's word. Plus, you're destroying the fellowship that God intends for us to have together in the church. And if you destroy the fellowship, you don't have a healthy church. How many of you know there are a lot of churches that are not healthy? And sometimes we even enter into seasons that are not healthy. When I hear people are fighting, when I hear that people can't stand to be in each other's company, when I hear about people, you know, and I'm not saying this as a regularity, every once in a while I'll hear it and I'm like well you guys need to get together you guys need to talk and they're like oh no I'd rather just hold it in my heart and not tell anybody it's between me and Jesus well you've got some issues you've got some baggage how many of you know people who have baggage and uh 
you don't want to destroy that fellowship. You should want to build it. First Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Valentine's Day is on Wednesday. Love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as... We love each other a lot. We love ourselves a lot. We should love each other a lot too. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil. Insult for insult. Ouch. Pastor Freddie, can you skip over that? Contrary, the Bible says, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. We bless because God wants to bless us. We, we, and we, we can't be children forever. It's time to grow up, right? We say that to our own children. It's time to grow up. And so how do we grow up? We grow up in maturity. We grow up in obedience. We grow up in, in surrendering to God. We know that we have to grow in our fellowship and that lack of harmony and that disunity is not good for us. I want you to look at that phrase in, in the last verse there. You were called for this. Essentially, that is your purpose. That is what you're supposed to be doing, which is building a healthy fellowship with one another in the Christian church, in the body. And so the Bible says the church is a fellowship, number one. Number two, the, the Bible says that the church is is also a family and that can be wonderful or that can be challenging I'm sure I'm the only one who knows what dysfunction in a family is I come from a dysfunctional family I'm the youngest of 13 alcoholism and drugs uh, was in my family I have stories that uh, you know some of you be like wow Pastor Freddie I didn't know that so your brothers did that your sisters were into that your mom and dad the, uh, like all of that when you talk about the church being a family some people might cringe a little bit they might get a little nervous because of your own family background the reality is when you were born you were born into a family and when you become I'm born again. In other words, you give your heart to Jesus. We are born into a new family. That new family is called the church. I said this in the earlier service. If you've got a, a dysfunctional family background, if you uh, have a past with your dad or with your mom, and there's just brokenness there, one of the good things about being in Christ that the, is that you have just been uh, adopted into a new family, the family of God. Amen. You've been adopted. Our, our, listen, our, our sins have been forgiven. If you've accepted Jesus, we are given a purpose for living and we receive a home in heaven one day. Our relationships actually change. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you've given your heart to Jesus, how do you know you're saved? There's a, 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 a Your spirit bears, bears witness with God's spirit that you're a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ and so when we put our faith in Christ there are four different relationship shifts changes that happen number one God becomes your father number two we become his children other believers number three other believers they become our brothers they become our sisters and the church becomes our new spiritual family as a pastor I've heard that before as pastor I love the church because my family growing up we were messed up I could tell you stories but when I gave my life to Jesus all of a sudden I have new brothers and sisters I have people that treat me the right way and encourage me uh, you know, I look to you or I look to someone in the church as a spiritual father. It, it kind of has caused healing in my life that there was baggage with my natural, my physical dad. There was baggage with my mom. But in the church, I have a family that has accepted me. We're not perfect. Amen, right? We're not perfect, but we're family because of Christ. And so we're, we're family. We should operate on a relationship basis. Fact, a top priority in family are relationships. And relationships, like I said, they can be messy. Therefore, the implication is that you and I, we need to love each other through some stuff. We need to treat each other with respect no matter what happens. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says, Don't be harsh and impatient with an older man. Talk to him as you would your own father. And to the younger men as they were your brothers. Reverently honor an older woman as you would your own mother. 
and the younger women as sisters. There's a, a relationship thing in God. There's a relationship thing in the church. The church is a family. Again, the Bible says that we are a family because, if, because we've been born again uh, because of Jesus. We're born into God's family. God has called you. He's placed you in his family. And that spiritual family, like I said earlier, is called the church. The church is a fellowship. The church is also a family. Number three, if you're writing notes, the Bible says that the church is a body. Now, I can have a lot of fun with this one. The body has many different parts and organs, correct? And it's great when your body is functioning. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm, you know, you have some knee issues. You have some back issues. My back halfway went out yesterday, and that is not fun. Uh, if, you've, if anybody has any back issues, you know what, you're, what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic. I have body issues, but the, the Bible says that the church is a body. And so there are many verses in the scripture that say the church is the body of Christ. And so, again, we're not a, we're not a business. We're a living organism, not just an organization. Therefore, whatever your gifts and talents are, you are needed by this body. I said this earlier. I'll say it again. Someone maybe has said that your gift or your talent isn't worthy or isn't good enough. And I want you to know this morning that however God created you with gifts and talents, some yet to be developed, that the church needs you, and wants you. There's a place for you here, and, and, and there's a place for you to serve. Uh, and I guess I'll do this. I'll, let me ask you a couple questions. Could you this morning, and just be honest with me, could you this morning function without one of your hands? God forbid, but could you, could you function, put it behind your back, could you function with one hand? You, you could. You might even know someone who does but not as well as if you had two hands. How many of you could function with just one of your legs? So you're an amputee or you have a leg, but it doesn't function. How many of you could function with one leg? Some of you, you, you might know someone who has a prosthetic, someone who, you know, uh, a walker or a wheelchair, whatever the case. You, you know, I know, sure you can function, but you could function a lot better if you had both of your legs, right? And so in the body of Christ, it's just like that. We can function without everyone doing their part. A lot of churches do. If you, in fact, I'll give you a little secret, you know, in, 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 insider secret. If you see a weak area of the church or an area where you're like, man, they don't have this. Or I went to that last church and they had it together. You know, they, they, had, they offered this ministry and that. If you walk into a church and there's an area that you would consider weak, I want you to consider the thought that maybe someone here is not doing their function or we are waiting for someone who will bring that area to life by functioning how God created them to function using their gifts and talents. And so the truth is, it, you know, it will function much better. The church will function much better as members are actively functioning and involved using their gifts and talents for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are still one body and so also is Christ. Fact, a top priority in the body is that we need to have unity with diversity. I don't know about you, but I'm glad you don't all look like me. I'm glad you don't all have the same gifts I have. I'm glad that we are not all the same. The truth is you can have unity with, uh, without having uniformity. That means everybody being exactly the same. H have you noticed that we're all different? That some of us have hair, some of us don't. Some of us are dark, some of us are light. Some of us are short, extra short. Some of us are tall, extra tall. That's a good thing. We have different colored hair. Sometimes people come in, they have blue hair, red hair, wonderful. We have different color eyes. We have different fingerprints. We have different uh, uh, DNA. We're, we're different ages. That's the way God made us. God loves that. God loves diversity. Thank God we are not all alike. How many of you have been to the grocery store lately? Have you been down the cereal aisle? How many different cereals are there? I, I mean, listen, I, if I had to, I could eat cornflakes all the time 
and survive, but that would get old really fast. I like variety, and God does too. That's why you're here. I like diversity and variety. God does too. He wants us to be in unity with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and 22 says, uh, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Say necessary. So weaker members of the body are necessary. We don't have to make them feel uncomfortable or, or like they're unworthy. We don't have to look down on their gift. Weaker members are necessary. Kind of goes back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago. When things aren't quite right, God is possibly working on your character and he's working on your competence. And in those seasons when you, in your flesh, right? I know nobody likes to talk about this because we're all super spiritual. But in your flesh, when you see someone and they annoy the heck out of you, did you ever come to the understanding or the realization that in your discomfort, in your irritation, in your whatever you want to call it, God is working on you. This whole time you want them to change. This whole time you want them to be more like you. You want that person to sing like that person. You want this person to do what that person does. God loves variety. Diversity is beautiful. You have gifts and talents that some of you, are, you're not even using to the potential what you have because maybe somebody said it's not good enough. I want to tell you this morning that the church is a fellowship and a church is a family and the church is a body. And in that body, we need each other. We need you. We need your gift. We need your talents. We need each other. Sometimes we come across situations where individuals think that they are God's gift. Don't point, but you might know someone like that. Maybe in the room. They just think they're God's gift. And that might be right or not right. And, but I, you know, I will say this, humility goes a long way. And so as you surrender... And as you make yourself available to the Lord and his, and his leaders make way for that gift, it's a beautiful operation that takes place. And then there are other times for different reasons that your gift may seem like it's on hold. And listen, when you experience that, you have some choices to make. Some people immediately get offended. Immediately, I've got this gift. I asked my pastor. He won't put me to work. I need to do this. I feel like I need to do that. God has called me to do this. And in that moment, it feels like rejection. It feels like you're offended. If you, you know, it, but listen, it might actually be God redirecting you to fit into the body where there's a need that you don't see. Or, or point blank, it might be a season for you to grow up. And God says, and we don't have it here. I use this illustration. It's gross, but I'll use it again. Is, you know, we don't have to clean toilets here. In the new building, we will. There's about 10 stalls, 10 toilets, two, four urinals, five urinals, something like that. Did you know? I mean, if you can't clean toilets for the glory of God, you might have a little problem. If there's a need there, if like, it's like, you know what, we're going to show up on Sunday and the toilets are going to be nasty, or I have time, I have a couple hours, I can't do the whole thing, but Pastor Freddie, can I take care of the bathrooms upstairs, or can I, I know it's a nasty example, especially right before lunch, you're like, all right, move along, Pastor Freddie, I, I don't like this. God may be redirecting you, there is a need that only you can fill, but at the same time, I was taught a long time ago, when there's a need and nobody else wants to fill it, you know what, God, you're going to have to enable me because I have to try and fill that need. It doesn't mean that that's what I'm necessarily called to do. I may not feel gifted to do that, but there's a need there. that the, the body is hurting. It's not functioning in a healthy way, and I'm going to step up because nobody else is. You've got to decide that for yourself. This, we're talking about church life. We're talking about those issues that are challenging. Uh some people will do this too. They'll, you know, it doesn't work out their way, and so they like to take their ball and run. Right? All of a sudden, they're like, Pastor, I, I want to be a worship leader in your church. Well, there's a process, and you, no, 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 no. Like, I feel like I need to sing next week. Well, no, there's a process. I'm sorry. We just, we have things to, you know, well, you, if you're not going to use me, I'm going to go to the church down the street. Sometimes you, you have to say, God bless you. 
Godspeed. You know, it's, it's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. And there are some needs that you could fill. God is developing comp competence. He's developing character. It doesn't dismiss you from your place in the body. We need you. We still need you. I say stay sweet. Stay humble. Let the Holy Spirit work things out. Did, did you know that it goes so much better when you just leave things in, in God's hands? The worst thing you could do is try and kick down a door. The worst thing you could do is try and force things to be your way. Ask me how I know. It's the worst thing. It, uh, uh, in other words, don't try to kick down the door. Don't choose to go somewhere else prematurely. God will make a way. And sometimes it's actually going to be a better fit for the body and for you. You may have a gift that is un untapped, undiscovered. You didn't even know. And all of a sudden, because you're willing, because you're humble, because you say, you know what, I'll try that. All of a sudden you're like, what? you know, people are like, you're really good at that. Like you, you know, and it's like, all right, okay, maybe it's a new season. Maybe it's a, the church is a fellowship. The church is a family. The church is a body. Listen, number four, the Bible says, we're going to end with this. The Bible says that the church is a flock. I wanted to do alliteration, so the last F had to be there. It's a flock. When I'm talking about a flock, I'm talking about sheep, all right? You may have heard that sometimes we act like dumb sheep. I didn't say that. Somebody said that. And so the Bible says that the church is a flock. Luke 12, verse 32 says, Do not fear or fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This was one of Jesus' favorite descriptions of the church. Uh, he called us his little flock, and he, of course, is the good shepherd. Now, the church is also cared for and led by under-shepherds. Shepherds, that what do they do? They lead they feed, they oversee, and a pastor, a church ha has taken the charge to take care of a flock. And so my primary job as your pastor is to lead, feed, and oversee. Lead, feed, and oversee the flock that God has entrusted to me. It's an awesome job, but sometimes it's an awesome job. Did you know I'm going to be held accountable for the way I lead you? 1 Peter 5, 2-4 says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade. And so listen, I'm going to be held accountable for being the shepherd of Cross Point Church. There's a responsibility that's mine, but guess what? That doesn't, get, that doesn't leave you off the hook. There's a responsibility that you have as well. You have to be accountable. You know what that is? That, that specific thing is your faithful support to follow the leader. Ever play that game when you're little, follow the leader? Sometimes that'll get you in trouble, so be careful with that. Make sure the leader is good and on point and following Jesus. But you are to stay connected to the flock and stay connected to the fold. That's the, there's power in being connected. I like the Message Bible. It reads well to me. Sometimes it's so plain. I love it. Hebrews 13, 17 in the Message Bible says this. Be responsive to your personal leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and they work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not to their drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? I have asked the same thing of myself sometimes when I'm dealing with certain individuals. It's just hard. I'm, and I'm just being transparent. There are some people that come and they've created a situation where I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to hear, but I know it's not good. But I have to, I'm the leader, so I have to stand up. I have to hear it. I have to process it. Why would you want to make things harder? Fact, the top priority in the flock is togetherness. And we said that with relationships. We said that with family. We said that with fellowship. Uh, we said that with the body. Sometimes things are challenging, but God is always working. Amen. Worship team, come on back. God is always working. Church life. We're doing this series. Uh, if you're asking why we're doing it, I asked God about a million times why we're doing it. I had something else lined up. 
And in this season of transition, we're seeing some new faces. Um, and I give God glory for that, and that's wonderful. Uh, we're seeing some folks that have been here for a while, and, and maybe there's some dysfunction. There's some things that need to be addressed. And through this uh, series, I feel like I'll have an opportunity to just say what God wants me to say. I said it in the, uh, uh, the earlier service. If I get fired after this, Brian does a great job preaching. And uh, so he can just, you know, I'm just teasing. But I want to obey Jesus. I want to do what he wants us to do so that we can honor him. There's blessing and obedience. Amen. Here's an interesting fact that you may or may not know. Uh, when bunny rabbits, when, when they're born, they have no fur. They are completely naked. That's okay if you're born in the summertime, but it's not so good if you're born in the winter. Baby bunnies that stray in the cold of night, they sometimes die. They stray. They're cold. On real cold nights, bunnies that survive do so by joining together. They share each other's body heat. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says it's better to have a partner than go at it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. If one falls down, the other one helps. But if there's no one to help, that's tough. Two in a bed, warm each other alone. You shiver all night by yourself. You're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third one? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. And that's why we started with Jesus tonight because, this morning rather, we started with Jesus because if Jesus is in the equation, you have that third strand. Finally, the implication here is that we need to care for each other. Stand to your feet. We need to care for each other. And we're imperfect, so it's not always easy. We rub each other the wrong way sometimes, so it's not always easy. But Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. And it's that simple. It's that straightforward. The church is a fellowship. And so walk in harmony. Do your best to get along. The church is a family. Love and respect each other. Sometimes that means agreeing to disagree, but love and respect. You're, a fa you're part of a family. The church is a body. Build unity and diversity. Don't look down on somebody else's gift because it doesn't match yours. We're a body. The church is a flock. It's important to stay connected, to be able to care for each other. Uh, one of the sad things as a pastor, we do our best to connect with people. We encourage you to fill out the connect cards uh, so that we can have some basic information. We know we value and we know the importance of accountability. And so whether you're new on day one or you've been here for a long time, we like to try and keep in touch. But we don't, we, because we don't live in a perfect world, sometimes people don't follow through. There are changes or they never fill anything out. And so we have no way of contacting people. People have said, Pastor, you remember that family that came with the th three beautiful little girls and da-da-da, and they're, they're not here anymore. And I thought they were going to be a part of our church. And they looked like they could really use our help. And they, those little girls would be awesome in kids' church. And, and the, the mom and the dad, they looked like they could really fit in here. And I have no contact information. They've got we haven't seen them. That happens a lot in churches. And, and sadly, we have no way to follow up. We have no way to include them in the church. We have no way to remind them that we, we value them. We need them. We desire them. Listen, I know we're not a perfect church. I know that we're not the only church. And I'm not saying that everybody's got to come here to Cross Point. I'm saying you got to be where, you got to be planted where God plants you. And you got to be faithful there. That's where you can get those one another's done. That's where you can serve and use your gifts and talents. That's where you can polish that, you can allow God to polish that character and that competence, the ability to do some things for the glory of God. God wants to do a work in your life. This might be a new season for you. You might be starting all over again. 
Uh, you may be here and you don't know Jesus. You're like, ah, this sounds good, but I don't know where to even begin. I'll say it again. I'll say it a thousand times. You begin with Jesus. My life changed forever and ever when somebody told me, do you have a relationship with God? Do, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I was like, I think I do. I go to church. I said, no, no, we're not talking about going to church. We're not talking about reading the Bible. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus. And I was like, that sounds kind of personal. Uh, yeah, because it is. He loves you. He wants you to get to know him. And he wants to be in your life. And so it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're hearing this for the first time, I, I, my prayer, and I don't want to twist any arms or make anyone feel uncomfortable, but my prayer is that you'll say yes to Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus in a simple way that, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm broken in my life. I'm not perfect. Perfection is what's required unless there's grace. Perfection is what's required Unless you take care of that sin problem, you, you have to take care of that sin problem. Jesus has taken care of that sin problem for us. Now it's your turn to appropriate it, to apply it to your life, to say, you know what? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I challenge you to surrender. Say yes. Say, Jesus, I don't know what you're all about. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what you have in store for my life. But I give you my heart. I give you my life. That's where it starts. And then I say this, become a part of the body. Go somewhere consistent. If it's not here, go somewhere. Go somewhere. Be a part of a spiritual body. Be a part of a flock. Be a part of a fellowship. Let God build in your life gifts and talents and character and competence. Let him do a work in your life. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Father, thank you for today. I pray, God, that as we leave, you would remind us of these words in the coming days and weeks. Lord, if anyone does not know Jesus as their Savior, God, that they would surrender, that they would say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want a new start. I want to live for you. I pray that if there's anyone like that today, that they would do that, that they would make that commitment Maybe for others who, who have strayed, who have gone to the wayside and, and their relationship isn't where, where it should be. That, Lord, if you were to come back today, they don't know for sure if they, were to, they, if they would go to heaven for eternity. They just don't know. And I believe, God, that you want to give them, all of us, that assurance where our spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that we are children of God. And so, Lord, help us to rededicate. Help us to say yes, yes once again. Help us to surrender our lives, our hearts, our minds, everything. We surrender. We surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Let him bring you into this church, to his church. Let him bring you into the body, to the fellowship, to the flock to the family. He loves you. Let's close.